this is Lord Cran. Welcome back to Lord Clark and Friends. All right. Lord Clark. All right, I'm back to uh, episode number 16. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Uh, so we got a few things in the news to talk about. Um, one being, uh, you know, they, they've got the gas flowing through the Ukraine again. So I guess that means Putin has gas and Yulia wants it, but uh, don't know where else to go with that joke. Hmm. So, so what is this whole gas in the Ukraine thing? They didn't. They weren't paying their bills, right? Well, I guess they were. I think they were paying their bills, but she supposedly Putin was trying to claim that she was siphoning some off for her own uses, and the pressure wasn't getting there. I think this is a whole bid to try to get the Ukraine back under Soviet control. Uh, I think it's the starting salvo and what's going to be a uh, his attempt to do what he did to Georgia, to the Ukraine, but, uh, you know, this time he may run into a little more problem. So to try to enforce his will, he stopped natural gas flowing through the Ukraine. Just out of curiosity, why didn't the U.S. try to bail them out? Um, actually... I think the only reason they haven't tried, he didn't try a military solution at first was because the Ukraine is, uh, I think, or partially a NATO member nation now, so they're strategic, he'd have to, he'd have to be ready for a strategic conflict if he were to try to invade the Ukraine or try any military solution. You're talking about Putin, though. Yeah. I'm trying to spread the ironic possibility of the U.S. bailing them out. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're bailing everybody else out, so why not? Exactly. Or at least we're bailing everybody out at home. Everybody else's money is going down the tubes. In case you didn't realize, I'm very anti-bailout. That's a little sarcasm in there. Oh. <laughs> I actually think this bailout has caused... Of at least six months to a year now, and I'm really considering almost it's going to be two years before this problem is uh, is solved. So. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of views on the, the bailout. Yeah. You know, their opinion of it. But the first thing that happens with me, indigestion. I get uh, just sick to my stomach, kind of like heartburn. Uh, maybe Argenta, you know, kind of thing going on. Yeah. Doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies, not liking the bailout. Uh, neither am I. I just can't stand. I just can't stand it. I don't think we should be giving money out to people who can't afford their, you know, just because, just to give out money, you know. Uh the banks, you know, they screwed up. They should be allowed to go under. I know that that might have some dire consequences. Might have. But I honestly think the banks would have been better off had they not been bailed out. Because then, you know, you know, yeah, it would have put a few voters on the, quote, Democrat voters on the street. But, you know, we should have done it. Put a few voters on the street, you know, because... Well, the real problem is you, you bail one person out, you've got a whole dependency problem, not just with them, but it sets the precedent. And it'll bail, you know, other people are going to step in line. Recently, what, the porn industry wanted to bail out, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you blame them? I mean, hey, if the government's giving out money, you might as well go line up for your check. I mean, come on, you <laughs> know. Isn't that, the, isn't that the whole American way? You know, if somebody's giving out free money, you know, you better get over there and get some while the getting's good. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the whole way. Now, mm. I kind of, well, it makes me want to puke in my mouth, you know. It makes me puke in my mouth, makes me sick to my stomach, you know. Speaking of puking in your mouth and sick to the stomach, now, there's been a lot of people watching. There was a plane that went down in the Hudson. Everybody's glued to their TVs. Okay, well, I, I was glued to my TV when I found out about it. the plane, and I'm like, yeah, are we having a slow news day? Do we need, like, a feel-good story to help Obama pave the way into his inauguration coming up? 
why is this such a big deal? The guy was doing his job. Uh, because, from what I understand, they haven't been able to see a plane actually be successfully set down in water yet until this guy did it. So everybody else who tried what he tried, uh, let's just say at least 50% of the passengers died. Okay. Well, I don't know. I still don't see it as that big of a deal. Well, I, I think they kind of overblew it that nobody died. I, you know, hey, I was all for it if somebody, you know, I hate to say I sound sick and twisted here, but I would have been kind of a little bit more for it had, you know, there been some casualties. It would have made the news day a little bit, quote, better. Uh, I, I am one, as people who know me, you know, I'd sit there and watch the news all day. You know, Oklahoma City bombing, I was glued to the TV. You know, counting the body count. Love watching earthquakes. That's why I live in the Northeast. I'm not going to let a natural disaster kill me. Uh we got Obama's inauguration coming up tomorrow, and I've been spending a little bit of time thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have anywhere between two to four million people there. And I don't know, it's one of the things that crossed my mind. I was like, you know, it would be pretty cool to get a pool, a betting pool together of some kind. You know, basically to take off, how many people are going to get injured? tomorrow, because they're, they're trying to pack, now, what, maybe 13 years ago, there was a so-called Million Man March, where really only 400,000 people showed up, yeah. well, they're going to try to get about 4 million, or at least minimum of 2 to 4 million people in the same space, right. okay, and, you know, you can't, I mean... With all the hubbub that's been going on between Israel and Gaza, and we had that whole Al-Qaeda, Taliban, September 11 thing way back. Well, it's relatively recent, but, you know, there's struggles and things going on. Yeah. I mean, isn't this just like a ripe opportunity for someone to just, you know, paint a big target on that part of Washington because they've got so many people in one place that it's the biggest target around? Uh, yeah, that's that could be very true, um, and it would be very tempting for somebody. Um, what you know? Don't know. I mean, is this something we have to be con concerned about? I think so. You know, is somebody going to try something? I don't Who know. Knows? You know. I don't know. I don't know. I I hope so, but no. You know, because I'm I'm twisted like that. You know, I was watching. I was watching the plane crash for the carnage. You know, I like watching carnage on TV. I'm going to be forced to watch this at work on Monday. Oh, you so, are? Yeah. They want to make sure streaming video works right in one of my buildings. So I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be forced to watch this thing. Uh, so, you know, I'm hoping for some carnage just because, I, you know, I, I want to see, you know, I, I just want to see something exciting. You know, I mean, that's my, my view. I, I don't wish anybody any bad, but, you know, I'd like to see some carnage just because, it, you know, it make the day interesting. Or, or do the terror, you know, or does somebody attack somewhere else while everybody's watching Obama? Yeah. You know, are, are we misguided for, you know, maybe they don't go hit Washington. Maybe they hit New York again. You know, because they get the bright idea that nobody's looking. Time to time to really see how vulnerable we are. I know every every terrorist uh, think tank out there who thinks that terror, you know, to reports on terrorism and thinks about terrorism says the terrorists are going to attack within the first six months of Obama's presidency, just yeah. to see if he's got got the guts to stand up to them like Bush did. You know, put them on the run. You know, everybody, you know, they're, they've been buying their time this last year. They knew what was coming, you know, and they're, they're waiting, you know, making, trying to put us to sleep. And, you know, I like what George Carlin said about all of this. You know, it's time to sit back and, and pop some popcorn because they're going to make it enjoyable for a really long time. Now, I hope they make Inauguration Day enjoyable. Uh, you know, as far as I, I'm in the same camp as Carlin is on this stuff.
And, you know, too bad Carlin's dead because I'd love to hear his view on, on some of this stuff. Uh, so, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of hoping they make it interesting. Well, we're walking into, uh, Obama's walking into uh, a couple of already tainted problems, you know. Yeah. Whole Blagojevich Boris appointment was tainted. Oh. Now they got this uh, the Treasury guy who uh, didn't pay his taxes for X number of years. Uh, the the AG, the Attorney General who what's his name doesn't even think that he made a big mistake uh, letting this guy go. Who oh I forget his name Roman Polanski. Mm. Oh that whole thing oh. And, and this guy's supposed to be our attorney general? Oh, yeah, well, you know, they were great under, you know, yeah, they did all the right things underneath uh, Clinton. They, we want to put those same people back in power? Oh, please, yeah. the same people who gave us the wacko and Waco? The same people yeah, were, who could have arrested Koresh? Head of the CIA with no experience? Uh, oh, don't get me started there. Let's well, give the terrorists an advantage. I'm just trying to collect the half a dozen different things that have gone on lately, even before he's even stepped into the office. Okay, uh, they just look bad. I mean, I think this presidency coming up here is going to be very much like the Kennedy uh, presidency, and he'll get shot. Well, I, I'm actually hoping that it's like the Kennedy presidency and not like the Carter administration. Because, you know what, I mean, at least Kennedy kept the riots down and, and was willing to to do, you know, kept the rioting, you know, kept people in line, kept the Russians in line. You know, this is going to be like the Carter administration with the, with the Kennedy shooting. It's going to be that bad. You know, the I mean, we gave terrorism a foothold in the Carter administration because Jimmy Carter didn't know how to handle things. And I think Obama is Jimmy Carter number two. <sighs> then you go, don't get me started on Jimmy Carter. Oh. Oh, Jimmy Carter ruined this country. Oh. And he's still out and about and a little bit of a whack job. Yeah, at least the Democrats have realized he's a whack job. But, uh, you know, they put another whack job in power. Yeah. Oh, that's just like him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not... It, it, it scares me. It drives me crazy. Uh, Jimmy Carter, anti-nuclear, ruined the nuclear industry. Uh, and now, now Obama's going to be Jimmy Carter number two. What ruin industry is he going to ruin? What, what, what? You know, Jimmy Carter was the one who created the Iran that we have today. You know, let that happen under his watch. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to allow that six more countries to be like Iran so that we really have to deal with this? Uh, well, you know, there are a lot of similarities, you know, with the Carter administration and what we're facing now. Um, though it seems that the the oil problem slash gasoline availability problem isn't quite there as it may have been six months ago. Well, I find that very interesting. I find that really kind of funny. <laughs> that a little change in demand in the U.S. economy just totally wrecks the, the world's demand for oil. I mean, is it, we don't consume that much of the world's oil anymore that we're, uh, that we have that big of an effect, but our economic policies seem to have that kind of effect. But the, the pricing has been absolutely erratic. I mean, we were, you know, if you look at gasoline, for example, we were down to like almost a buck fifty. Um, yeah, well, no, 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 no. Let's remember something. Let's take our forty-nine cents off the table for gas. So where are we at? We're at a buck ninety-six, right? Take that forty-six, forty-nine cents away. What do we got? We got a what? A buck, buck forty-six? Another buck forty-six or something? Buck forty? Uh, I forget. I don't know. I don't know. But it's not. A, it's not a buck fifty. It's less than a buck fifty. That's right. So we're paying less than a buck fifty for gas. We're getting taxed on our brains. We're getting a thirty something, thirty eight percent or so tax on our brains on out of gas right now. So we're getting our brains taxed out on gas. But 
uh, and they want to raise it. Oh. Way to go, Democrats. 38% tax isn't enough. Let's move it to 50. Um, <clears throat> right, Liberty comes at a high price, doesn't it? Yeah, well, here comes back the high price one, and we're still paying $35 a barrel for oil. Uh, right now, the oil industry, I think, is under, I think the barrels of oil are somewhat underpriced. I'm not going to say they're not. I'm happy they are. I'm taking it to the bank. Um, now, you were, this is a tax hike you were alluding to was local, in case any of our listeners didn't know. Well, the total tax is local, but we're still paying. Uh, there's a federal piece into that that's for the whole. Right, but the, the state is looking to increase its revenue potential, the good old Commonwealth of Mass. Right. Uh, and they want to hike the taxes up. Now, similarly, uh, apparently about what is it, a year, year and a half ago, they hiked up the price of uh, cigarettes by a buck for a tax on cigarettes here in Mass. And yeah. yet, in the past month when they reported their, the, I guess, percentages that they were getting, they've, they've oddly enough found a 35 to 4% decrease in the number of cigarette sales here in Mass. I'd like to know what what the uh, the sales in New Hampshire were for the same time period. They went up. Oh, uh, like I like I suspected, they're just jumping the border for for the uh, for the cheaper cigarettes. That's right. And, and I do also want to point out that that um, Philip Morris again raised their dividend last quarter, or not last within the last six months, had raised their dividend. Uh, again, pointing out that the cigarette companies, no matter how much you tax their product, they still make as much as more money every quarter. So the whole point of taxing sin doesn't really work. But, well, I would actually say that it's even more of a positive effect because what happens is you'll see a sudden spike in sales. When people jump the border and they're afraid of the taxation, they're going to go stock up. Yeah, and sure. They're going to stock up more than they would. So good old Philip Morris and Reynolds American and U.S. Are they U.S. Tobacco still? Or are they? Oh, no, they're they're now Philip Morris. Um. Yeah, Philip Morris. Okay. <laughs> All your tobacco companies are going to see even more profit <coughs> when the states jump in and try to tax more. But what I was getting at, though, and this is the, the important point I've got here, people are nomads, and they are going to avoid taxation the same way or inverse to how a, a bug likes flying towards the light, okay? Yeah. They, they're repelled equal and opposite in, in theory or in practice, rather. Right. Okay? But the thing is, the brilliant people who came up with these extra taxes because they wanted more revenue for the state, they're scratching their heads. They don't get it. They don't get that people don't want to pay more. They... <laughs> and that's really the sad part of the whole thing is that they just don't get it. They look at, at taxpayers as like trees, where money has to be shaken out of them, and they're shaken down. Yeah. And every year they're supposed to be harvested or they'll go bad. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I actually had to say something. I, my local representative sent me a questionnaire asking me what I felt, how I felt about each one of the local new and tax initiatives that the governor has put forth. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I did... I did. Uh, I did actually fill it out and send it back because I felt that I should. And I was against a lot of the tax initiatives uh, that he had. I thought that was quite funny. And I'm kind of wondering. I, I'm now kind of watching to see what it, whether or not he would, whether or not he's going to, um, well, how he's going to vote. But I thought it was kind of interesting. He was sending out a flyer to, to his constituency to see how to vote or how what they think. Right. I thought was at least, you know, I mean, I had to say, for, that was a first in my book. 
Well, so was he paying for it, or was it paid for by everybody? Oh, it was paid for by his his office. Okay, so, so let, that's let us, pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I, it sort of, and it had a tax-free stamp. You know, it had a tax-free, or a, I didn't have to put a stamp on it to send it back. I don't think. Yeah. So I was kind of like, well, okay, this that's not bad, but you know, I was like, at least he's thinking about what his constituents are thinking. <laughs> I mean, most representatives in Massachusetts don't care. So I was kind of like, wow. Because they were, I mean, they're, they're they're talking about some hefty taxes that they want to put on us. Well, the thing is, let's say hypothetically this guy is a local BIM, you know. Oh, he's a Democrat. I know that. Okay, so you, you're not understanding the mindset of the Democrat. It, it, it's kind of like watching a, an animal in its native environment. You, you sort of poke and prod it a while, and you figure out what's going on. Right. Um, they are very, um, you know, socially motivated. So appearances are a lot to the Democrat and their indigenous environment. Indigenous environment, yeah. Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> so they, they want to know, they don't want to make themselves look bad, because if they're actually going to try to prove some kind of point, they and it's very rare that they do, but if they're going to go mouthing off, oh, we wanted more taxes, see, I got the numbers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if anything, they just don't want to outright lie. True. So, so the, the, the thing that I, I can't seem to get beyond in all of this taxation is how the Democrats can never see that Every time you cut taxes, tax revenue goes up. <laughs> how, how they cannot see that correlation? Well, you should redirect them to how the Laffer curve works. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to even hear it. It's it's not. No, it's, it's, not. it's just crazy. Uh, well, I, I think they get their math from rainbows and unicorns. Well. Oh. I don't even know what to say to that, but other than the fact that I, I was giving more credit to rainbows and unicorns than, than you are. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, let's see. What a... Well, no, I think you, you bring it up a good point. They, they don't look at, they don't look at tax like it's something we earn. Or, or, or they don't look at it income as something that, that is earned. They look at it as something other people do to give to them. True. They look at they look at income as borrowed money from the government. That's right. So that is kind of scary that they look at it that way. Uh, yeah. And, it should be distributed equally throughout the populace, right? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, as we learned from the Russian government, it should be distributed equally amongst the ruling class, and then whatever's left over, give to the populace. Equal. Well, you know, I was watching either a day or so ago, there was a video with Pat Buchanan calling the U.S. socialist at this point. Well, I'd agree. <laughs> so, you know, you could almost say that maybe the Russians didn't really lose <laughs> because soft socialism has made its way to our shores, only it's been called uh, being a Democrat. Yeah. I can see that. Oh. All right. He doesn't get a lot of things wrong. He's really pretty, uh, pretty um, level-headed about most things. Every now and then he'll get something wrong. I think he's got the whole thing on Gaza all wrong. But well, you see, uh, 
what what these Democrats are like, ooh, Europe is ideal. Well, Europe's going through financial bankruptcy. Europe's ideal. Look at the tax rates in Europe, 50, 60 percent. And the, the countries can't produce anything because they're so burdened by tax. And, ooh, that's ideal to have socialist programs, you know, and Europe is finally learning that it's not our, you know, these socialist programs are are counterproductive. That you have to take away some forced vacation time because it just doesn't work. Well. You know, no, everybody doesn't have a right to nine weeks vacation, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I really don't. Like, I, I mean, I agree with the fact that they're not as productive, but I also think that the trend that I've seen with with companies working people, you know, harder and putting in more hours and having fewer holidays and just pushing it, well, I don't know. I, I think it, it takes away a lot from the quality of life by working so many hours, but I think it's all from conditioning. You know, these kids, they go to school every day, and they think, oh, well, attendance counts, right? So yeah. when you get into the workforce, oh, well, attendance So you show up, you have a pulse, your brain waves every now and then go beep, beep, okay? And you have a slight brain wave every now and then, and you think, oh, because I'm here, I should get paid. But you're not necessarily doing anything. True. Well, there are certain jobs like that. Um, companies are kind of fighting back with the whole, if you don't take your your uh, your vacation, you're going to lose it, uh, which I kind of find interesting. My also, my also thing is, Look, if you don't, if you want to work eighty hours a week, go ahead. Find a job that allows you to work eighty hours a week. Well, well, let's get back to that use it or lose it vacation concept because this is one of the, the things. Is like, well, a company should reward employees who want to put in the time to do more work, but they're teaching them not to save. See, most people would, at least reasonably rational people, would save their vacation time so they could get like a month. And employers want nothing to do with giving their employees one large block of time off when they need it. Well, yeah. I mean, that it's, it's actually counterproductive to have an employee off for a month. It is but, very productive to actually force an employee off for a week or maybe two in a lot of circumstances because there is a a notion that you need to get the employee employee can't work straight a whole year on end. They need time they need some time off to decompress. And yeah. so by forcing the employee out of the office for a while, it actually makes the employee more productive when he's in the office. That's a myth. It's a myth. In in a week's time you cannot forget enough about work to enjoy the time off. I don't know. I man I managed to do it. Well you may be an exception. Well that's because I, I I leave work behind and I leave and I leave the continent so they can't call me in. Without paying me some paying some absorbent fee. You know don't get me wrong, like I at the end of a work day pretty much try to have a case of amnesia until the next morning. Right. Okay. But I, I still know that on a week's time, I, I'll have just been starting to get used to a vacation kind of schedule. Mm. To, to get used to maybe sleeping a little later, going to bed a little later, or or just taking a nap in the afternoon. Right. It takes a week to do that kind of change. So, you know, I think people need a bigger block of time. And if you work, let's say you work five years, and you get a week a year, well, let's say you get two, maybe three, but let's, let's hypothetically keep it down to two. If All right. you work five years, 
no problem. And you want to save up 10 weeks to get two months off, why can't you? Why shouldn't you? I can't see it. You've earned it. You've worked for it. Uh, no, I, I get what you're saying. It, it, and it is to the company, and the only defense I have is to the company, it's a little bit to lose a person's productivity for two months can be very detrimental. Uh, it's also just really, it's it's a liability on the books. Um, and they want they want to close the year out accounting-wise, year by year, so making people take their vacation every year keeps the accounting uh, balanced and sim simpler. A lot of this policy comes back from auditors more than the actual company caring whether or not you... No, 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 you can't give me that, no. Keeping it on the books for a year, look, you're paying someone, a salaried person, for the whole year. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you dice and slice it up. One year equals X amount of dollars, period. Right, but they don't want to carry over any of my salary from for this year to next year. But they're not carrying over your salary. Right. Actually, they are. In a, in a way, you actually are going to pay more for those hours that you lose later on than you are now because just mathematically, because if they give you even a 3% raise, you're still paying 3% more next year for my hours that I didn't use than you did this year. So theoretically, by not making me take my time, the company is actually paying me more for my time later on. That's just the simple math of it. Now, I'm not saying... No, you, can't, you can't look at that. Why can't I? That's math. If, if you're making X thousands of dollars this year, uh -huh. making X thousand plus Y percentage next year, mm -hmm. that's payment for the whole year. Right, but what I'm saying is, okay, I'm paying you for, let's say, 50 weeks of work, right? 50 yeah. Or what, 52 weeks of five days, and I'm and I'm giving you, I'm actually paying you 50 because let's say it's two weeks vacation, right? So if you work 52 for me and you get four off next year, you're delaying your two your two payments, but now I've got to pay you for 48 weeks of productivity uh, versus 50 this year. That second year, it becomes, I get less productivity out of you. Well, let's take that, just take that to N, and you'll see that it'll actually become, there will become a year where you can take the whole year off, and I have to pay you 3% more than I paid you the year before, but I'm going to get zero productivity out of you. So... In that a year off, it would take over 20 years to get there. Right. Okay. But but the thing is, though, you, you can't claim this pro as productivity loss. Because if you look at a five-year period, if you're telling me I get two weeks a year, I'm going to get two weeks a year over five years. I'm still going to get 10 weeks, whether or not they're all at once or whether or not they're spread out. Right, but he wants it spread out. He wants it spread out because it's better for him. Well, I can agree that you think it's better for him, but it's not costing any more. Plus, whether you, and I do subscribe to the philosophy, whether you do agree with it or not, the worker who actually takes a little bit of time off every year will be more productive than the worker who takes no time off. Mm. Well, so if you break up those two weeks, job. it depends on the job. I mean, there are some, and it depends on the job and the person. There are some people who can work, come into work, do work 160 hours straight, and then leave and not have to come back and be very, very vital to your company. Yeah. And then there are others who 
you know, you're lucky to get 40 hours out of a normal work week if you can, and it's just if you can get them on vacation, you can get more done. Well, there are a lot of a lot of places where you know companies won't even let you take a day off until the first 90 days or the first six months are are up. Right. So you know, I think that's kind of endemic to the problem. And that what what actually happens is people in the first couple of years with a company, they don't take a lot of time off. Why? Because the romance is still there. Okay. After you burn out enough, the honeymoon is over, and you either want more vacation time or you want to get out. Yeah. And usually companies will dangle that extra week at five years to keep you there for five years or longer. And they dangle just enough benefits in front of your face to kind of keep you there. Yeah. And if you're and if you're in a non-demand industry, they make it almost impossible to quit because you'll never get a job at the same pay scale. Right. So you know, I I can see, you know, companies do do things that are evil and and tyrannical to their to their workers because they've got them. You know, I don't want to give up my four weeks vacation because I've been here long so long. You know, I don't want to give up this extra thing so the company gets to keep you around longer. Right. Um, but, you know, you have to do what you have to do for yourself. I mean, if you can bounce jobs every now and then, you can make, a, you know, it's possible you can make more money. But, you you know, are you going to give up that, you know, that extra vacation for that, you know? Yeah. And I'm talking about more than just the IT industry when we talk about this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know the IT industry can be very different in some respects uh, than other industries. Uh, but I've seen it go both ways. Yeah. And I kind of understand the need to take a couple of weeks off every year or else you're going to burn out. And hate your job. That's the truth. Uh, and yep. I'm almost coming up on five years of my job, so I'm going to get an extra week of vacation soon. <laughs> I will be taking it. Uh, but I do manage to keep close to, for the most part, close to my maximum. When I go, when I turn over the year, I usually am fairly close to the maximum number of days I can have in my bank. Yeah. But I did that purposefully so that I could take longer vacations. Right. Uh, and then it's paid off significantly because I I knew how to work the math of my uh, of my of the accruing. Yeah. That and other things. But uh. So, anyways, let's see. Do we have anything else to talk about? We do have to but uh, I guess they've come to a peace truce with Israel and Gaza. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about it. It seems they both had different terms, so it may fall apart. Like, if they don't agree on why they're both ceasing fire, uh, one of them will probably break it, whether accidentally or not. Yeah, I can see that. And, and it'll be broken anyways. I mean, they, from what I understand... The people who live, Hamas, the people living in Gaza, usually just use this time to regroup and try again. So it's almost. I had sent you an email that I got. I guess it was from one of my dad's friends or something. Yeah, it was a really interesting email. You want to go into I what it said? So. What? I thought so. I thought so. I thought it was one of the best emails that I had read in a long time. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to go into what it said, and I'll leave that up to you. Uh, you can go for it. Okay. So, so I don't know if this is true or not. I, I don't know who this person is. I have no relation to this person. You seemingly have a little bit more knowledge of who this person is that wrote the email. But it sounded like they were talking to somebody who was inside the Israeli intelligence gathering. Uh, and that they had had placed a uh, placed operatives inside Hamas, and that they were using not only hospitals and mosques, 
probably two of the most worst places for Israel to hit as far as political so they can get so Hamas can get the most political capital out of storing all of their weapons in the basements of mosques and in hospitals that they not only that but they have a pretty intricate underground network of of buildings and that pretty much they've gone and started digging which makes them almost makes any and you'd have to have a sustained military campaign to completely crush the Hamas infrastructure um, there's no easy way once you started digging to get people out other than to send troops into the into the tunnels um, and that basically Hamas is dug in for a long-term war literally literally uh, Israel is clearly they've found the only real counter to it is to build a wall uh, it's probably been the most successful thing in protecting their people in 20 years yeah. um, building a wall building a uh, no man's land uh, where they protect their borders which is another thing we need to go into uh, I really do like the Israeli model of protecting their borders um, and I, I feel that the United States should take a, a lead in that you know take a lead from the Israelis and build a fence along our southern border uh, the same kind of with the same kind of enforcement um, but it really sounds like Hamas is there for the long term and Israel is currently trying to figure out what to do next uh, and they're kind of got their hands tied by oh no these Hamas people are, can't defend themselves when clearly they're arming themselves to the teeth uh, for a long-term battle and everybody's taking their, their you know this these people's side and being fooled by the tricks they play uh, by putting their bases inside hospitals and schools and schools and mosques and everything else and trying to hide behind religion and you know everything everything but now this whole Israeli thing has got me thinking and as I was talking to you I think it's time that you know I'm starting to starting to to get to the notion that some Zionist Christians are getting too down south in the southern states is that you know do we need to support Israel's rebuilding of the temp the uh, Solomon's temple for the third time now I'm starting to believe that we should do that and not only that I want to start a nonprofit organization for that very purpose and for the purpose of bringing back the Templar Knights to defend the temple. Uh, and I'm quite willing to, to, to help support a military solution to defending the temple. Because uh, I think it needs to be brought back. Now, I have my own goals, which, you know, I think is for a whole other pod, which would take up a whole other podcast, as to why I believe this, and believe that, you know, we need to get the temple rebuilt as quickly as possible. Um, has to do a lot with me popping a lot of popcorn and watching a lot of interesting things on TV. Um, but I think it's time to rebuild the temple on Temple Mount. And if that means breaking down that uh, that that mosque there, well, you know, hey, it's time to break it down because it's not the thing that rightfully belongs there. So putting it out there, I'm, I'm starting to contemplate starting a nonprofit organization to rebuild the temple. Uh, and re and, and and get some more Templar knights down there to loot the Holy Land for artifacts, uh, just like they did in the in the Crusades. And maybe we can actually find the Holy Grail. Uh, so that's my kind of piece on this now. Uh, it's my new piece. I've decided this is my new campaign. I'm going to have to start some sort of fundraising effort to this uh, to this measure. Uh, you're insane, aren't you? I, I'm losing it slowly. <laughs> Come on! Time to start a new crusade. I, 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 we need to help the Jews defend the Holy Land. I'm sorry. Oh. It's time to help them out. We need to build. We need to build a new temple. Uh, I, I'm going Zionist on you. I'm sorry. Well, they've got their own state. Come on now. I mean, do they really need to? To have, a to have Christian defenders? To there have... are a lot of people, like, taking the sides on this whole thing. And 
what really gets me is, is people that are, are really extreme about it. They're like, well, you know, it's all George Bush's fault, and, you know, George Bush hates Palestinians, and, well, if you believe this proper conspiracy, well, the Zionist this, and APAC that, and CFR this, <laughs> oh, you know, they really like, I mean, there's really like a lot of crazy people out there with these crazy opinions. And not to say that, you know, it, it's a crazy to have opinions, but the ones that they come up with are just so far out there, you're like, are you on something? You know, I've been watching people, like, I've been watching some of the protest videos where people have been going to, like, there was one I was watching in Cambridge, and they had, they had, um, sort of like an Israel flag, only they put a swastika in it, and then they, they had, there was a, something in Fort Lauderdale where there was this riot where you have a group of, of, uh, uh, Muslim supporters on one side and Israel supporters on the other and it just got ugly and violent and it's like well okay so th they're all fighting and all that and well why uh, who's got credibility again <laughs> I, I don't care who's got credibility. I just want to rebuild the temple of the of the Lord for for Zionist sake. Well, <laughs> well, that and to oh man, I don't want to give away my true secrets, you know. Okay, well, let's hold off on that. Then. We may need to have a we may need to have a special podcast on on uh, why we want to rebuild the temple, uh, or why I think the temple needs to be rebuilt. That may that may require a couple hours of explanation. Yeah. Uh, and then you might think I'm totally crazy at that point. Uh, we're already there. Well, yeah, everybody knows we're there, but... <laughs> you'll know I've gone off the deep end after I uh, promote this one. But I think yeah, I am definitely... I've come to the conclusion it's definitely time to rebuild the temple, so uh, my part is I want to I rebuild the, the Knights Templar to help save the temple. Uh I think it's time that we have somebody to defend the temple, so and to help defend our interests, who who will who are willing to do a little bit more than who are not willing to bow to political pressure uh, and fight the good fight. So I don't know. How did you get there? What else do we got going on? Uh, hmm. Oh, did uh, notice that? Uh, I guess there's an American girl on trial in uh, in Italy for uh, her and her boyfriend. Uh, I guess killed a British guy in a, uh, a kind of three-way episode or something in Rome. Oh. Yeah. A drug-fueled sex game is what they're calling it. So. I guess a 21-year-old girl, a 24, and a 24-year-old Italian guy decided to this do something. This wasn't in Gloucester High School, right? No, this wasn't. This isn't. This is in Rome. Okay. And I don't think she's from Gloucester either. Uh, uh, but I guess that she's on trial there. So that caught my eye. as something in the news. It's kind of an odd thing. Uh. There's all sorts of uh, odd things lately. There was a, what, one woman who, another woman who was having an affair with her 13-year-old student. Do you yeah. want to talk about that one? Uh, we haven't talked about that one prior, but I haven't found anything on it, so I don't know what to really, I don't have any uh, conclusions to make. Okay. Um, other than, you know, the 13-year-old hosed himself at that point. Uh, the only thing I can think of. Um, there was one thing that happened this week that, uh, you know, again, other countries taking border jumpers seriously. Uh, Thailand let a whole bunch of people die on the beach because they were trying to jump the border. Uh, I guess these were Indonesians who were trying to illegally emigrate to Thailand, and Thailand uh, 
took the action that they wouldn't let them go beyond the beach, and they all died on the beach, I guess. Um, did they shoot them? No, they didn't shoot them. They just all died on the beach from from exhaustion or something. They didn't oh. give them any aid. So Thailand was taking their border jumpers seriously. Um, you know, and we're going to continue to point out other countries who do take, who do take this seriously. Um, Thailand's always been a good ally to the United States, so uh, I think we should uh, learn from our allies that we need to protect our borders a little better than than what we allow happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, anything else in the, the market news? No. Not really. No. I, I think the market, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's kind of looking for next week. And a lot of people are sounding like it's going to be an ugly week. With the, you're going to start out with the uh, inauguration, and then it's just going to get worse from there. As, as no, I don't agree with that at all. I think people are going to be in a drunken stupor. Uh, investors are going to be in a drunken stupor. And the market's going to be flying high for a few months until Obama makes his first screw-up. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, as soon as Obama was elected president-elect in November, the market promptly dropped another 2,000 points. Uh so, you know, they kind of weighed in already. I just don't think these traders are going to be in a drunken... They're the only ones who aren't in a drunken stupor. Well, you know, I've been talking with a few people, and they just seem to think that this Obama election is like the second coming of Christ. So, because it's such a big deal, everything is going to magically be better. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I can tell you he's not the second coming of Christ. Um because that's why I want, you know, it's one of the reasons I want to rebuild the temple. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the signs of the coming of Christ. Uh, so unless Obama decides to start building the temple, he's not the precursor to the second coming of Christ. Well, I guess he could be the beast that was supposed to come before the second coming of Christ, and so then we could be, all be in some real trouble. But, again, that'll be left for the uh, Rebuilding the Temple podcast. 